0: Welcome to this episode of Have You Eaten, a podcast brought to you by Neurom Health, which aims to bring open conversations about mental health straight to your ears. I'm your host, Steph Ng, and I'm so excited that you've decided to join me on today's audio adventure. This podcast is named Have You Eaten because this question is commonly asked to indicate concern for others in our local culture and we really think that it embodies our podcast's mission to invite listeners to join the conversation about how we can care for our own and others' mental well-being. The upcoming series of episodes will be focused around the central theme of reimagining. This time of the year is usually fraught with concern about how we can improve and change ourselves for the better. And I wanted to take this chance to invite you all to consider a different kind of New Year's resolution this year. How can we develop empathy for people that we might not currently understand? How can we approach situations that we might not be familiar with? Even when we are not sure how to go forward, how can we use threads of our common humanity to imagine what could be? In this first episode of the Reimagination series, I will be speaking with eating disorder specialist and psychologist, Gabriel Tischer, who has worked with adolescent and young adults suffering from trauma, eating, and other mental and behavioral disorders for the past 21 years. In this episode, we talk about what eating disorders are, how the lines between harmless dieting and eating disorders are really very blurred, the different misconceptions that exist about eating disorders, and how you can start developing a healthier relationship with food and your body. I am so excited to share this episode with you. It is a great conversation. Hi, Gabriel. It's so exciting to have you on this episode of Have You Eaten? So first off, let's talk about what eating disorders are. Um, could you give us a brief introduction of the eating disorders and what you typically see in the clinical setting?
1: Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me, first of all. Um, there are In the clinical setting, there are lots of eating disorders, but the ones that we tend to specifically see more often are anorexia nervosa, bulimia nervosa, binge eating disorder, Avoidant restrictive food intake disorder, a mouthful, and otherwise specified feeding and eating disorder. There are three others, rumination, pica, and unspecified eating disorders, but we won't go into those because you're probably not going to see or hear of them very much. Um, So we'll just focus on those five particular ones that uh, we tend to see in the clinical setting.
0: Got it. Thanks so much for giving us an idea of the different categories of eating disorders. Um, So now I was wondering whether you could possibly explain some of the symptoms that typically characterize these more common eating disorders, um, specifically anorexia nervosa, bulimia nervosa, avoidant restrictive food intake disorder, and otherwise specified feeding and eating disorder.
1: Sure, so anorexia typically, in um, what you would start to notice is uh, a lot of behaviors and that start changing in a space of um, body weight, losing a lot of body weight, um, cutting out food groups, restricting um, either focusing on calories, obsessions with uh, weight and appearance and um, a great deal of anxiety. And usually in, in, in the clinical space where somebody would catch an anorexia, is when they have lost a considerable amount of weight, and then they notice that there's a a severe problem, whereas it would have been developing for a period of time before. Usually anorexia, there are not any um, purging behaviors, which Mm -hmm. um, brings us to bulimia nervosa, where um, a patient will binge considerable amounts of food, either that could be in a one hour setting or a four hour setting or for mm. some people binging could be you know throughout the day and it's usually followed by uh self-induced vomiting. um and in the other sense uh, there there are no restrictive behaviors that go into that but mm. um when there are that come into it where some people will use exercise compulsion to uh, burn calories or Um, get rid of food in some sense, Um, which brings us to the otherwise specified eating disorder where you don't fall into either category of anorexia or bulimia, but you've got features of one or the other or both. So that's when we tend to put uh, people into that within that diagnosis. Um, Binge eating disorder has gotten a lot of um, public voice Mm. recently because it's also connected with um, the obesity epidemic Um, with binge eating disorder. People don't usually purge their food, um, Mm. but they do eat considerable amounts, um, which causes uh, weight gain and other medical complications. Um, Avoidant restrictive food intake disorder is there are five different um, subtypes of it. But usually in this scenario it's more about tastes and textures and aversions to food versus body image and um, loss of calories. So it's more on the sensory and um, usually this starts a lot a lot younger even in infancy or can be put in a place where people think it's picky eating. Right mm-hmm.
0: Thank you so much for explaining those categories because, um, yeah, it's really important to understand like what symptoms can arise um, and, you know, how people can start to um, notice if they might be falling into certain problematic patterns of behavior it kind of sounds like you know on paper it's easy to assume that the boundaries between the different eating disorders are you know really cleanly cut so to speak Um, but from what i've learned at school and also um, from some previous conversations that we've had i know that the lines between the different eating disorder categories can really be quite blurry um i also remember you mentioned before that the risk factors in the development of eating disorders can really interact in very complex ways and I'm just wondering um, how those complex interactions could possibly contribute to the overlapping nature of symptoms that you might see in presentations of eating disorders. So what are your thoughts about that?
1: Sure. So, you know, as you mentioned, there can be a crossover between the different disorders. Um, for example, one of the, the big ones that people have this stigma that in order mm. for you to have an eating disorder, you have to be underweight right, or you, you don't eat right? But everybody with an eating Mm. disorder, regardless of where you fall into, eats. Um, Some people eat large quantities, even somebody who has anorexia can eat large Mm. quantities because their body is in a space of rebuilding. So there becomes this myth of other, where people will see somebody who has anorexia and eats and says, well, you can't possibly have it because you're eating. And for you to have an eating disorder, you need to be emaciated and, um, you don't eat anything right so when that happens to um which is one of the, the probably one of the biggest eating disorders in that has the biggest stigma which falls into mm. OSFED, is atypical anorexia and w- what that actually means is somebody who has all the features of anorexia the obsessive thoughts um the anxiety around it body image issues um struggling to control their weight, but yet they have restrictive behaviors, but Mm -hmm. their body never goes underweight. So their BMI might be normal, or for some people, Mm -hmm. they might be considered at healthy range. And so they can actually be at higher risk than somebody who has anorexia, because their body has had the effects of the starving behaviors, which can affect their heart and their organs, and so for somebody who goes in like that with to a doctor, and they're like, "Well, you can't possibly have sure. a problem because right. you are mm. you're of a normal weight," yeah. Or for mm. example, um, which I hear this a lot, even with um, people who are not trained in eating disorders, and the, where mm. um, a boy goes in with anorexia or Um, orthorexia which is not an eating disorder but can develop into anorexia and nervosa targeted on clean eating and veganism and and the psychiatrist or someone will say oh you can't possibly have an eating disorder it's not Mm -hmm. diagnostic Mm -hmm. an eating disorder because boys don't get it but boys do get eating disorders men get eating disorders in fact everybody can get one right so with those kinds of stigmas, because eating disorders have so many stigmas and barriers against them, people not understanding that it's not about your body and it's not about weight, even though it presents itself like that, um, they get this. They get stigmatized by mental health professionals or GPs or you know other practitioners in the mental in the medical field um, for not understanding. Mm-hmm. Hmm.
0: From what you're saying, it's really clear to me that these misconceptions can be very harmful to people who are struggling with eating disorders. So I wanted to ask, um, in your opinion, what is the biggest problem that these stereotypes pose to the recovery and well-being of individuals who might be struggling?
1: The biggest problem is, one, it's really difficult, first of Mm. all, to understand that for somebody to go and get help, especially if they're in the depths of an eating disorder, it's really hard for them to open that door to accept help right and if they have made that step to do it that takes a lot of of courage to do that because in themselves eating disorders they feel so much shame and guilt around what they're doing because one of the biggest things that people in the public say about eating disorders is that they think it's about vanity and they think it's about what you look like and you know So this misconception of that it is about wanting to lose weight and be healthy, right? It might present itself that way, but it's got nothing to do with the body and nothing to do with food. And I know that sounds absolutely mad to to think about it because how could it not be when this person is telling you, you know, I want to lose weight or I need to lose some more or I shouldn't eat this and the obsessive thoughts around and behaviors around food and the body but yeah. it's underlying issues of self identity mm. and it just the eating just sort of pre, just presents itself in the space of if you think of it as like another distraction mm. to what everything else that's going on underneath this is something i can control and this is something that i focus on right so um the big when when people come into that space of like, well, this is what it's all about. It's about you, you, you only care about what you look like and it's a very selfish behavior and why don't you just stop? Um, that reinforces the message that I have control over this. Mm. When a person in an eating disorder has no control, nobody chooses to have an eating disorder. It's the, one of the most complex mental health disorders and the hardest to recover from. You can't take a pill and recover from an eating disorder, Mm. whereas, you know, in senses of depression and anxiety, you can have help in that sense along, obviously, with therapy. But um, with eating disorders, it's a lot more complicated and there's so many layers to it. So the more it stigmatizes, the more the person Mm. folds into it, so to speak.
0: Right. And what you're saying really clarifies why it's not helpful to say to someone with an eating disorder, like, why can't you just eat it? Because, again, it's not at all about um, food or and food is just like a presentation of it. So I think that's really important um, for for people to realize. And um, I always will remember something that you told me about um, what the function of an eating disorder is and how it serves as a protective mechanism. And I was wondering um, whether you could explain that a little bit, Mm because I think it's really important.
1: Okay, sure. Um, so to give a, uh, an understanding of like why people, in a sense, go into eating disorders, there's no one reason, right? Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, there are genetic traits. There is a, a genetic uh, transfer of through familial, you know, if you have a, a, a mother who has an eating disorder, you have a 90% chance of developing an eating disorder. Um, genetically, the genes that are carried over, anxiety, obsessive compulsive disorder, addiction, and like alcoholism um, or PTSD. So mm. for some people, what there are things that happen in their lives like, um, that they can't control. So a lot of people who have eating disorders have suffered sexual trauma, um, abuse, There's familial dysfunction um, or there are a combination of factors that uh, that build up onto a person who might be already insecure and struggling with anxiety and self-worth and um, Mm -hmm. identity. So when you have a lot of overwhelming feelings that you can't manage or Um, things are happening in your life that you feel like you can't control, it's like your mind's way of giving you something else to focus on. So you don't have to deal with what's underneath. So in a sense, an eating disorder grows from a place of protection that it gives you the distraction of something you can control, which becomes the body and food. And the more and more and more it develops, something that has grown to protect you and is safe and is comfortable then obviously becomes self-destructive because it consumes somebody's entire life and the way that they think, right? So um, I think that's really hard for people to understand that it actually grows from a a safe and comfortable space, even though it's self-destructive and in essence, it's self-harm. And that's why it's so difficult for people to come out of it because the eating disorder becomes their identity. Yeah. And then if they don't know what feels that like identity when you start to take it from them, that's quite terrifying. Yeah. So you have to help that person to understand why they need this and what purpose it serves for them versus stripping mm-hmm. that space of because it creates a, a great sense of fear.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, thank you for explaining why the condition itself can be so sticky. Um, you know, it's, it feels mm-hmm. safe and it's familiar. So um, and I think that's something that um, is hard to understand from someone who hasn't experienced it. So thank you for explaining that. And next, I just wanted to ask, um, what is the, um, the line between um, harmless dieting, if there is such a thing, <laughs> and something that is more clinically significant? Or in other words, how do people know when they need to seek help?
1: Okay, so harmless dieting is, I mean, no, my opinion no, of dieting is like nobody should diet, but, um, you know, where it's a thing where it's, you're, you're comfortable in your own skin and you have that confidence, but yet, for example, you've got high cholesterol or, you um, borderline diabetes or you're going through some other medical condition and you are trying to uh, make your life more balanced by, and it could potentially be in a space where you do need to lose weight for medical reasons, or you're just trying to get stronger for um, being more fit and active and, you know, in those sense where it's something that is, it helps you to feel more in a space where you're comfortable and um it doesn't consume your entire life and you can give or take it and it Mm -hmm. just makes you feel good then you know in that sense it's more about finding that balance in essence um where it's not harmful to you and your the behaviors are not extreme um
0: i also recall you once mentioned that um you know when The kind of line is set where the person starts to develop like an emotional attachment to the way they, you know, to their patterns of eating. So they might, you know, when there comes to be a sense of guilt or um, they feel like, after they've eaten something, they need to compensate for it. And yeah, I I really wanted you to tell us about that because it's incredible.
1: So those are red flags, right? (laughs) When somebody starts to, where you can't go to a dinner because Hmm. you're worried that, you know, that's going to break your diet or your, you know, you need to count calories or uh, where if you can't exercise after this meal you know something bad will happen and i'm going to gain weight and then i have to fix this tomorrow so any compensatory behaviors outside of it anything to do with food where it creates that emotional response is Mm -hmm. negative right because it it reinforces that you're doing something wrong Mm. versus really having a healthy intuitive space of taking care of yourself so um, where eating something or not eating something, or exercising or not exercising makes or breaks your day, mm. then that's something to look at. And if it makes you feel bad about yourself, or you're in a comparison factor of like your journey is, you know, you've achieved this, but I haven't, and and mm. it makes you feel bad or guilty or shameful, then there are um, things that you need to look at. Or if you're cutting out certain food groups and because it's, it's you know, quote unquote unhealthy, um, yeah. then, yeah, it's, uh, you're really not probably taking a healthy track.
0: For sure. So it sounds like, you know, when it's attached to your morality as a person, you know, you're mm-hmm. like, I'm a bad person for eating this bad food. Yeah. Or like, I'm more successful than this person because I didn't Um, Or I I ate this food instead of that one, that kind of the thing. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for that distinction, because I think it's important to evaluate what your relationship with food is and to know that, oh, when I'm starting to think about things in black and white terms and binary terms, it can be very harmful.
1: And this is why orthorexia, which is not a diagnostic eating disorder, is so prevalent right now. I think eventually it will be. But so to explain a little bit for anybody who doesn't understand what orthorexia is, mm. it's, it's about clean, self-righteous eating. Mm. So you know those people who walk around saying like, oh, I'm not going to eat processed food because it's the devil and sugar is going to make me fat and um, I can only eat whole, some whole grain organic foods and I'm a, you know going to become a vegan and all of this which is encouraged obviously in 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 life to eat wholesome balanced foods but then it becomes into this place where it's so driven into obsessive behaviors Mm. that they can't even have you know a biscuit Mm. that is not made with almond flour Mm -hmm. and you know coconut coconut, (laughs) coconut sugar and uh And then it morphs into, because it becomes more and more and more and more restrictive, it morphs into um, uh, anorexia. Right. And then, but it's never about calories or weight loss, but it is about clean, righteous, Mm -hmm. and being healthy. And because it's so encouraged in the public, when somebody goes and says, oh, I eat smoothie bowls and I have, you know, um, avocado and nuts and all this stuff for lunch then people are like oh yo you're, you're doing I wish I could be as disciplined as you are hmm. and addiction has nothing to do with discipline right hmm. so hmm. that's uh, that's also something that is a uh, an issue
0: yeah and uh, what are your thoughts on like things that Um, friends or family members who you know might have are listening to this and and thinking oh I have praised someone in my immediate proximity for doing these things or for eating in a in a certain way like what would you say to those people and how could they potentially start to change their behaviors
1: well I think first of all too is we need to stop talking about what we eat with each other we need to stop talking about what diet we're Mm. on and you know how much i've lost or gained or and Mm. focusing more on us as individuals and what we we in essence bring to the table not what we put on it
0: oh i love that so much (laughs) right so
1: (laughs) that the the conversations need to stop where Mm. the first thing that comes out of your mouth is like oh my god you've lost weight right and you know, that where there's a, a space where somebody might take that as like, oh, my God, did I need to? Mm. If they weren't even trying or, you know, they've put on weight and they're feeling uncomfortable about it and somebody addresses it, oh, you, you had fun on your holiday oh, and that person feels insecure. It seems like a harmless mm. conversation, right? And But there's just so much emphasis on our appearance yeah. that the dialogue needs to move away from what we look like sure and what we put in or don't put in our bodies because Mm. that can have a serious influence on people that are insecure and vulnerable and will take that to heart yeah right especially especially kids who are in school are so influenced by what other people do or what they see Mm. on tiktok or instagram and some you know influencer who's 15 and has no medical training is telling them, oh, I eat this, so you should do it too because I look like this, mm. right? And then they they take that as fact and run with it.
0: Mm. For sure. Absolutely. Like that's Just, so important to remember.
1: Like yeah, the so the conversations wow. need to change. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much for explaining that and Um, you know, I, I just kind of had a a last question with regards to like, Mm -hmm. what, what is the impact of COVID on people's eating behaviors and attitudes towards their bodies? And I guess, how can people, um, navigate those challenges, um, and develop, start to develop a healthier relationship with food and their bodies and in the future. So people who might be struggling or are currently on a diet and kind of struggle, um, just thinking about, um, these different behaviors and, um, yeah, what would you, what are some of your words of advice for, for people?
1: Well, with COVID, with COVID, I mean, eating disorders have exploded, hmm. exploded. If they haven't already been in a space where this has been a, uh, an issue, the growing issue then becomes something that's fully active. Um, hmm. on, the, on the sense where people don't have eating disorders, there are, a lot of people are struggling with weight gain because a lot of times um, you eat for emotions you know where you're bored or sad or angry or feeling anxious and you know this is a very very um difficult space um and testing the challenges of control where everything about an eating disorder is in control right so a lot of people who depend on you know their exercise regimes and um have some photo they might not have a f- a full-blown eating disorder but They've got, you know, disordered behaviors around food and exercise and their schedules have been completely shut down because gyms are shut and they Mm -hmm. can't, you know, get certain foods or they're reliant on takeout. And um, it's created a a great deal of anxiety for a lot of people. Um, And this is a part two of, you know, when it starts to impact your how you feel about yourself or igniting or reinforcing already anxiety that you might be struggling with or depression. And, you know, it's something to talk about, Um, especially if you're younger and you live with your parents and just Mm. expressing how you feel. And, you know, I can't reinforce enough of, of the sooner somebody gets help is the faster they come out of this. And unfortunately I see parents wait until it's too late and they're already in it and it's a lot harder to pull somebody out of that space and if you are starting to feel that what you put into your body or lack thereof or trying to change what you look like start asking yourself the reasons of why and what is this about and is this because I don't feel good in myself or is this something that is you know has a, a real purpose like Whether it's a a religious belief or it's a a proper medical consideration, um, and not something of that inflicts or impacts your identity. Yeah,
0: those are great suggestions. Um, Just to evaluate you know if you're starting to feel like it's impacting you just to to think just reflect a little bit and see
1: yeah I mean you can even just write it down it's just Mm. like how do I feel about this and what are some of my you know being aware of your thought process and how you're looking at yourself and why are you making these changes yeah right and questioning that part of it as to what is what is valid and what is fear
0: absolutely Thank right. you. And yeah, I also thought that, you know, you clarified a lot of reasons why COVID might contribute to um, exacerbated symptoms because, yeah, COVID is a very unpredictable situation and mm-hmm. eating disorders at their core, um, just like you talked about earlier in the episode, are all about wanting to feel like you're in control. So
1: yeah. it makes And it's all about structure. Every, everybody who has an eating disorder mm-hmm. has so much structure. And that's based on whatever rules that have been created to help them to feel safe. So right. if you live your life where 24-7 you have to do things just so and eat just so and, and work out just so, and um, the minute that's shifted and it's out of your control, it induces um, such fear and anxiety in trying to, you know, like some – eating disorders and change do not go hand in hand.
0: Yeah.
1: Right. So spontaneity is not an option. So when nobody has control over COVID, right. So we don't know when our lives will go back to normal and you have that flexibility. So that's quite terrifying for people who need, need to feel they are in control of their lives.
0: Absolutely. And I I had to tack on a final question. Perhaps you could explain, you know, like in terms of um, people who are struggling to cope with that sense of instability right now, like what are some alternative coping skills that they could use? Like instead of relying on food or exercise to find that sense of stability, do you have recommendations for how people could do that?
1: Well, you know, it's that part to journaling is a wonderful thing of starting to get yourself into a space of, um you know, in tune with yourself and um, obviously connecting with peers and having that communication and that dialogue um, and also being mindful. I mean, mindfulness and mental health, you know, now they go hand in hand. Right. And having, you know, whether that's in a spiritual sense or meditation and, you know, that self-awareness and having that um, place where you have access to, you um, being in tune with yourself and being able to express to other people how you're feeling. And I mean, in this day and age, um, especially with the young, younger generation, it's so communication has gone through onto technology and nobody talks to each other. And we need to get back to the basics of that simple communication. And, you know, if you're ever feeling in a space where, you know, because eating disorders the minute you're using the food, you're already in it. Hmm. And it's when you start thinking about yourself in space, like I'm having difficulty in school or at work, or I'm feeling, you know, uncomfortable in my skin or talk to people, you know, express how you're feeling. And, you know, and on the flip side of that, it's like, if somebody comes to you like that, and even if you don't agree with what they're saying and you think, oh, your body's fine or your, you know, you have the perfect life or whatnot, it's just like, Mm -hmm. Don't dismiss it because hmm. you, if somebody feels the way they feel, it's how they feel, right? right. And it's about yeah. acknowledging that space and allowing them to share. Yeah. Because the more they are, is the more they will,
0: mm-hmm. before it
1: becomes into something where they feel that nobody understands them and it develops into a bigger space,
0: absolutely, so- right thank you so like you've given us such good tips for self-care and also just like caring for others you know listen to others mm-hmm. and also make time to be mindful enjoy the small moments journal um, take time to be with yourself so
1: and avoid comparisons
0: yes absolutely.
1: All right that's one of the biggest is you don't know what somebody else's journey is that or their life and you know don't judge and Everybody's an individual and what works for one person doesn't work for another. And, you know, it's back into that space of self-acceptance and respect. Yeah.
0: Thank you so much. I think that's the perfect place to end our episode. And I'm so thrilled that you joined us today. And I am looking forward to having you back already.
1: (laughs) I would love to come back. And thank you so much for having me.
0: Yay. Have a great day, Gabriel.
1: Thank you, you too.
0: Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Have You Eaten? hosted by me, Steph Ng, and featuring the amazing Gabriel Tusher. I hope that you loved this show and that you join me again on the next audio adventure. If you liked this show, the best way that you can support us is to leave us a five-star review on the platform that you are currently listening on and to share this episode with your friends and family. You never know who might need some words of encouragement and support right now, so be sure to keep your loved ones close and to share knowledge that could help them take better care of themselves. If you have any questions or just want to chat, please email us at podcast at neuromhealth.com. That's podcast at neuromhealth.com. You'll find a link to this email in our show notes. We're excited to hear from you all. See you next time.